everybody. Welcome to On Her Turf. I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and this is the podcast where myself and my co-host, MJ Acosta-Ruiz, get to talk to various women about all things, but mostly about women who inspired them to be the best versions of themselves. We're also talking to athletes about what it is that makes them tick. We have had so many fascinating conversations that have made both MJ and I walk away and, and think about those talks for weeks to come that it's been really awesome. This week, MJ got to have a conversation with someone that I wish I could spend a week's worth of time with. Jennifer King is the assistant running backs coach for the team in Washington, D.C. that is now known as the Commanders. And if I can give a, a, um, a true fact here, this is the team that I grew up loving. This is the team that I rooted for as a girl growing up in Virginia. And then I ended up working in Virginia covering this team. So for me, I kind of wish I had been a few years later because I would have loved to have been on the sidelines there after practice, walking off that field to be able to pick Jennifer King's mind because her journey to becoming a coach in the NFL is fascinating. But more fascinating are the takeaways that she shared with MJ about the things that she's discovered along the way. You know, not only is this Jennifer's story, but this is also absolutely a story that can motivate and inspire so many other people in any industry, truly. So, Get ready, sit back, get ready to be inspired. Here's MJ Acosta Ruiz's conversation with Jennifer King. So this week, very excited because we have a trailblazer, y'all, as we always do. You know we bring the heat when it comes to our guests. And we have the first black woman to become a full-time assistant coach in the NFL. The first woman to be a position coach at an all-star game because she was leading the running backs at the East-West Shrine Bowl not too long ago. A two-sport college athlete and former football player, plus an award-winning college coach, Jennifer King. Welcome to the On Her Turf podcast. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm glad, uh, glad we can make it work. I'm glad to be here. I know. Thank you. It's a crazy, crazy time with Super Bowl going on um, and the Olympics at the same time. It's so we really appreciate you jumping on with us. I definitely have so much I want to ask you um, and to have our listeners get to know you a little better. We want to start with just a couple of get to know me questions. Super easy ones. So first up, if you had a superpower, what would that be? It's always a good question. It always stumps me because I'm like, I want it all. But um, let, let's be able to fly. I think that's that's always been cool, you know, just to be able to just take off. It, it would benefit me a lot right now in L.A. with this traffic. So, Listen, <laughs> folks don't understand, unless you've been to LAX, what kind of traumatic experience it is. Uh, all right. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was this what you pictured? Um, no, you know, um, went through a few things at one point I wanted to be a police officer and then I was big into tennis at one point. So I wanted to be a tennis player, but never a coach, um, wow. until I got older. Sometimes so, the job finds you, right? Not the other way around. Absolutely. What is your go-to comfort food? Oh, that's tough. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of a foodie. So I like, yeah. like I try anything. I'll try anything at restaurants when I go places, but my go-to has to be pizza. Yes, Always. I love that pizza. was the first thing that came to mind. You could never go wrong. Literally, never go wrong. You can't go wrong. Even when it's bad, it's okay. It's, it's still you know? right. It's still good. It's still good. Uh, right. Okay, what's your favorite vacation spot? Vacation is sort of on the horizon for the football world. 
<laughs> right. Um, man, that's so tough. I mean, we're so busy. My favorite vacation spot is going home to North Carolina to see my family. But um, fun in the sun. Uh, oh, my goodness. Where do I like to go? There's so many places I like to go to. As long as it's warm right now with sun, I think I'm good. So yeah, that's, that's all that matters. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, what about the first memory you had of watching women's sports? Um, I think my first memory... It's probably like track and field, like Jackie Joyner Kersey, um, and Ooh. tennis. Cause you know, I mentioned I was big into tennis. So like Zena Garrison was like my hero growing up just to see her out there. So, um, so I think those two things are probably my first memories. Oh, I just got chills. That took me back. Um, all right. <laughs> when did you fall in love with football? Uh, I was like four years old. You know, I remember wow. just watching games with my dad and going to games and playing in the backyard with all the neighborhood kids. So it was probably around four years old. Yeah, outside getting dirty, but you knew it was going to be a good time. Absolutely, <laughs> Jenny, you are a very accomplished athlete, all right? So we got to set that from the ground up. Uh, you played two sports in college, but when was it that you realized you wanted to play football? Um, I wanted to play football my whole life, <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't get really, I didn't really get an opportunity to play until um, I graduated from college. Yeah. So I started playing then and ended up playing for like 14 years, 13 years or something like that. How did you find the Women's Football Alliance, right? Because playing at a competitive level for someone who is an athlete is very, very important. It kind of found me. Um, I was actually playing pickup basketball at a gym and a lady came up to me and told me about it. And I mean, obviously I, I was I was on board immediately. I mean, this is what I've been waiting yeah. for my whole life. <laughs> and then, you know, so I went out and, you know, ended up started playing with the Carolina Phoenix. I'm sort of picturing this conversation and you're like, I'm sorry, it's the what? Say less. Where did it? Let's go. Let's let's just get to it exactly. immediately. Can Why are we playing basketball right now? Right. Let's, 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 <laughs> like, let's go. Uh, can you walk yeah. um, the On Her Turf listeners through your coaching experience from coaching women's bas uh, college basketball um, to where you are now as a football coach in the NFL? Yeah, it's been a wild ride for me. Um, I started coaching college basketball when I graduated college, um, went to Australia and played for a while. And then when I got back, I started playing at uh, Greensboro College. I mean, coaching at Greensboro College. And uh, I was there for nine years um, as an assistant and just kind of kept getting bumped up and ended up being the top assistant. And we were very successful, learned a lot. And, uh, you know, the other teams were trying to pull me away, but it was it was a really good situation for me. And I ended up staying there for, for nine years and ultimately got a head coaching job at Johnson & Wales University in Charlotte. And I was there for about two and a half years. That's when it gets interesting. But, um, you know, we were successful there. It was a new program. We went in and really, really changed the culture and ended up winning a national championship in year two for us. So um, that's kind of where I went in basketball. You know, it's interesting you say this this job found you because I remember speaking with you um, at the Women's Forum for the NFL during the Combine a couple of years ago. And and for those who don't know, it, it's an opportunity for women who want to be part of the NFL. They're on the field in front office position, various spots um, who have a passion for this to get in front of NFL coaches and general managers and front office executives. And, you know, uh, Jennifer has always been the type from from my point of view, who I know you say it finds you, but you also position yourself to succeed, right? So like you've put in all of this work and being the first carries a lot of weight with it too. Um, not just because of the representation value and for opening doors for other folks, um, but but there's a lot of challenges that you sort of have to figure out yourself. So what what has that journey been like for you throughout the NFL? I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, they did find me, but I kind of 
put myself in position for it to find me. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, when I when I moved to Charlotte for my head coaching job, I was beside the Panthers facility. Right. Um, and I was really starting to get into <laughs> football then as far as coaching-wise. So I had to find a way to to kind of get to the other side of the fence. Because I used to watch practice, like, behind – it was a fence that separated our facility from their facility. So I used to watch through the fence. But um, – and then at, at the forum, you know, I went as a participant – a few years earlier, and Coach Rivera was there. And at the time, he was a head coach with the Panthers. So I really just had to find a way to to meet him and let him know who I was and where I was. So that's kind of how it all started. You know, we talk about opening doors, but my girl here is knocking down fences, literal fences, <laughs> <laughs> to get to the next opportunity. Um, what has uh, it been like and what have your interactions been like as the first black woman to be in this position within the NFL? Um, just in speaking with with other young women who now see themselves in you and can really see a tangible example of what they can aspire to. Yeah, it's been I mean, it's been an awesome journey for me. I know my journey is different from everyone else's journey because we're all different. But um, I mean, the coaches that I've been able to work with, the players I've been able to coach, it's all been great. Like I haven't had any problems. I haven't had any issues. But I think that's really a testament to the guys that I've worked with um, and, and also the players I've coached. You know, if, if you can help them, that's all they care about. And, um, you know, I've built great relationships with coaches and players. And, um, you know, it's been a great experience for me as I continue to grow and learn and develop as a coach myself. But to have like our staff now in Washington, it's so so diverse. I mean, we have older coaches, we have younger coaches, and I think that our, our bond is really good. We learn a lot from the older coaches, and I think they also learn a little bit from us too. Yeah, I think it's a reciprocal learning experience, right? Because the game itself changes so much, but the culture is really starting to pivot as well. And listen, it, there's still a long way to go. There's a lot of work to do, especially for women within the NFL specifically, um, you know, preaching to the choir in this conversation here with the two of us. Um, but I think that as important as it is to identify the problem, the areas that really need improvement, I also like to highlight the areas where people are pouring into that. And, and you're certainly one of those folks. I think Coach Rivera is another one who, who really walks the walk. He doesn't just talk to talk. So um, what has it been like to be part of an organization that is in really the, the, the apex of, of, of a turning point and a pivoting point when it comes to culture? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, coming in when I came in was on that that back end of, you know, the things that we're hearing about now. But my experience has been great. I mean, in our organization, everything's been um, been really smooth. Everyone's been supportive from top to bottom. So um, obviously, like I talked about, everyone's journey is different. So my journey, you know, with our organization has been great. And I'm excited to be a part of the the new brand and, you know, as we move forward. You know, it's it's a grind. The football season is wild. It's sort of shorter than all the other major sports. But man, what we pack into six months, is kind of crazy. What's the toughest part? I mean, I think that's it. You know, people yeah. don't realize the hours we work. You know, yeah. people only see games or they see us you know, doing an interview on TV and they think that's, that's it. Like they think our life is some some glamorous life that we just show up on Sundays. But I mean, we're working, you know, 16 hours a day in a week to get prepared for that game, sometimes more than that. And um, so that's the grind of it. The hours that we work, I think is the thing that people don't realize. And also the toughest part, you know, cause you start getting into, you know, week 10, week 11, week 12, it starts grinding on you. So you really have to find a way to keep going and push through. Right. It, listen, it is no joke. It is a steep uphill climb and it feels like it's 90 <laughs> degrees at certain right. points of the year. <laughs> there's no rope. There's no help. There's no net at the bottom. You just got to keep going and try to nah. 
make it to the end of the season. I'm Absolutely. Project- I'm projecting here now, Jennifer. I'm projecting. Um, what what has been a difference that you've seen or what are the, the marquee differences between coaching women and coaching men? Because you've been at every level now, the highest, um, although I know you've worked with, with kids as well before, but what's the biggest women uh, difference between the two when, when it comes to football specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously coaching at the collegiate and then professional level, that's the biggest difference that these guys are, they're pros, you know, they have families depending on them. And, um, you know, it's a different mindset. I think a lot of them have than college. And I always joke that I think my college girls that I had would think I'm a different person now because really? I mean, I used to yell at them and I used to destroy them all the time, but that's what they needed. I had to yeah. meet them where they were. And, you know, obviously we got results from that, but the guys I have now, like, I don't need to yell at them like that. And, you know, if they do need to be yelled at, you know, Randy Jordan, who I work with, he has no problem <laughs> yelling at them. So I'm kind of that, that calm coach. Cause I don't think both of us should be yelling all the right. time. Cause it's just like chaos if we do that. So I, I think, you know, I'm the balance for our room right now. Wait, do you think the your college uh, athletes would look at you like, really? You're not going to yell at them one little bit after what you put me through? Absolutely. They would, they would definitely think that right now. I mean, I, I've made kids cry and all types no. of things. So, yeah. I can't picture that. Like every time we talk, you're like such a calm. Co- See, listen, coaching is different, y'all. It's not- that's what I needed to be for them, though. Right. That's what they needed. I had to, I had to give it to them. I get it. I get it. Sometimes you like you, you have to rise to the occasion, and every it's like the part where you said about the journey. Everyone's journey is different. Everybody's. Um, what they need from their coach is different, right? So sometimes you got to do the tough love and sometimes you got to walk them a different Absolutely. way. Absolutely. But athletes are also yeah, One interesting different. thing, though, I will say, I will say this, but one of the things that are similar, everyone needs positive reinforcement. And that's one of the things I had to learn at the NFL level. Like literally these guys are the best in the world at what they do, but they still need to hear sometimes, hey, that was really good. Like that was, you did a good job. And it's it, that was interesting to me to obviously I did that with the the women and guys I coached in college, but I didn't never thought about that at the NFL level because these are elite athletes. Everyone knows they're the best in the world, but they still need to hear it sometimes. We all just need a little encouragement at the end of the day. <laughs> but that is interesting because right. you know you don't get into it for a gold star. You know, sort of being there is the gold star. So that's I, I wasn't expecting that, but I I can see it though. I can mm-hmm. see. It. Did I do a good job, coach? <laughs> yes. Go on. Go on. All right. So we're in the middle of of the craziest time of year and Super Bowl and Olympics coming together at the same time. Listen, I I would like I would like a word with like the planning folks behind this. But if nothing else, it gives us a lot to talk about. So the Super Bowl is going on and it will be on NBC this weekend. What is it like for you as a coach um, that isn't going to the big game, right? Whose team didn't make it? What kind of participation? I mean, is it a little bit more relaxed for you or do you still feel like you're still in coach mode as you, as you get into Super Bowl week? No, it doesn't feel like coach mode. Um, <laughs> you know, for this is actually the first time I've actually been around the Super Bowl in the same city. So, wow. um, but I came to just kind of experience it cause I never have before. Um, and hopefully the next time I experience it, we will, right. I will be in coach mode, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's, it's been nice to be out here and just, to meet so many great women, you know, we, we were talking about uh, the events and, you know, meeting so many people that I've admired and to actually meet them in person. Um, it's been really cool. We have a lot of crossover, right? You're, you're a crossover athlete. So you did multiple sports and you see that a lot in the Olympics too. So you see someone who performed in the summer Olympics now doing bobsled in the winter Olympics and so on and so forth. Um, how do you think the athleticism of a NFL athlete would translate to an Olympic sport? 
Um, I think it depends on the sport. You know, when you when you talked about bobsledding, I think a lot of that, you know, the explosion that yeah. these NFL guys have, a lot of them would be really good um, at bobsledding just because that's it kind of fits into their wheelhouse. Right. Um, so, you know, some of the events I'm not sure about, but um, I definitely think those events that require that explosion and athleticism, I think they could be really good at. Yeah, I mean, you hear a lot of the guys have track and field backgrounds, right? So I think it would definitely be more of like a Summer Olympics thing. Uh, but a lot of these guys play... Well, Washington definitely gets cold. You see the guys in Buffalo (laughs) and Lambeau Field, the Green Bay Packers. I don't know how. Listen, I am not equipped or built for that type of weather. I'm just not. You talked about fun in the sun. That's me. That's where I want to be all the time. So I feel like they would actually do pretty well um, in a winter Olympic setting. These guys are out there on the field with yeah. like it's, no it's sleeves on, like before game, and it's negative one. Bye, sir. You're gonna catch a cold. Stop it. We need you. To, we need you. Okay, <laughs> to play to play this game for everybody here. Um, are the Winter Olympic sports that you're any of them on the events that you're paying attention to right now? Like I, I, I love figure skating, but I really, really enjoy um, sort of the, the the freestyle skiing and some of these crazy acrobatics yeah. that I've been seeing because I can't understand how you do these things. It's crazy. I know it's it's insane. I like. I mean, I love like the bobsledding, the luge, skeleton. Like I, I love to see them go down the ice tracks. I think it's amazing, you know, how they can just memorize everything going down this track at like seventy miles an hour. And I'm also scared because if anything goes wrong, I mean, it's a bad day, you know. So, but um, I like to. I like the freestyle skiing is awesome. Check, got a chance to check out Sean White. Um, so that was always good. With all of these athletes. Every time we ask them, like, you know, what keeps you centered? What keeps you grounded um, when you're doing some of this, these crazy, these crazy tricks and, and, and events? Uh, and they always say it's, it's their coaches, right? So the importance of having that person that centers you. What's a piece of advice that you've given a, a player who maybe seems a little too anxious, a little too jittery before a game to make sure that they're even keel before taking the field? Yeah, I think the best advice I give in that situation is let it come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't have to force plays and try to make things happen. Um, you know, just be patient, stick to everything that you've learned and right. it'll come to you. How important is routine, right? Because I feel like aside from superstitions, like athletes we know are superstitious. Like, nah, these are the cleats I always wear. Uh, This is the jacket that I always put on before. But how important is that routine to having like, I come in at this time, then I warm up and so on and so forth to to success? I think it's important because you don't have to worry about other things. Um, And that's why I do it. Like my game day routine is pretty much set. Um, so, but I don't have to worry about time because I know what time, if I start doing this at this time, everything will work out until when it's time to play. So, um, I think that's the main thing. You don't have to worry about anything. You just have to get yourself ready. And, you know, our guys do the same thing. I know what time people are coming out to start warming up so I can be out there waiting for them. Um, so that's important for us. You know, what you're doing, Jennifer, and I follow you so closely, as you know, um, is, is just, it's not impressive to me because you're a woman or because you're a black woman, but because it's your, you're very excellent at what you do and you take a lot of pride in the product that you put on the field and what you pour into these athletes. Um, and not every coach is like that. We have hundreds and hundreds of coaches, not just in the NFL, but throughout, throughout the, throughout the sports landscape. And not everybody is a great coach. Not everybody is a leader of people, but I think that you, definitely qualify and are within that group. What is it that you see for yourself uh, moving forward throughout your coaching career? Uh, Just continue to grow like every single day. Um, You know, I think I've gotten this far by, by really being good at wherever I am. You know, coach always says, be, be where your feet are. Um, 
So every position I've gotten is because I was doing a good job at my current role. I wasn't out searching and chasing and anything like that. So that's my every single day. That's my, you know, that's what I'm trying to do, which is get a little better and never, see what happens. You know, I don't really look too far ahead um, because I might miss out on something in the moment. So, um, but but I do feel like, you know, to get to this point, you know, it, it is crazy, but obviously for to be a black woman or, you know, a minority woman, you do have to be exceptional at something to get where you are. Same for you. I mean, you wouldn't be where you are if you weren't exceptional at something just because the world is, you know, it's not always for us. So yeah. to get to that position, you have to be really good at something. I think I learned that really young and um, just always tried to be really good at whatever I was doing. It, it, the, the margin of error doesn't exist, right? Especially if you're a minority within this space. Um, you know, I did a, I was part of my best friend, Joy Taylor. She put on a flag football camp for young girls, a free camp this over the weekend. And this one little girl ran up to, to one of the coaches and she just tugged at her shirt. She must've been, I don't know, like six or seven. And she said, Hey, do you think I could make it to the NFL? Oh, my heart. Like my, <laughs> and she, the coach took a beat, stopped and said, you know what? That's up to you. You know, she's like, I can't answer that question because it's up to you and how, what you do from here on out from just showing up at this camp to what you do when you leave this camp. It's up to you how far you get. What do you think, Jennifer, is is, is the ceiling for these young girls who are looking up now who want to make it to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, I always tell them there is no ceiling. Right. <laughs> like, just keep going. You know, go into space somewhere. <laughs> just keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my that's my mindset. But I think it's, it's awesome how many how many girls are now getting involved in football? Like I, even in North Carolina now, there's high school football um, in some areas. And, you know, I've, I've been playing flag football for forever. Like yeah. I still play flag football. So, but to see like this next crop coming, I think it's going to be amazing how good women are going to be at football, actually playing football. Um, you know, I was in Florida a few weeks ago at a tournament and I saw like a 15 year old girl track a deep ball as good as you can track it and caught it over her shoulder. And I was just like, wow, right. <laughs> like that was exceptional. I don't even know if she know what she just did, mm-hmm. but to see that happening, you know, I'm super excited for the future of football for women. Yeah. There was a young girl there from Arizona who was she must have been, I don't know, 13 or 14, teaching us how to play QB. Like, now nah, you got to hold it at this part of the laces and you got to make a C right here and you got to rotate your shoulder. I was like, girl, I just hurt myself holding this ball. Like, this isn't easy. But she, the way she rose to the occasion to break this down for us, like the way she was teaching us even was, was just, I think, one of my favorite memories of the day. Jennifer, before I let you go, usually we ask a little bit about Best advice, worst advice, but I want to put a little twist on it because we sort of touched on the topic of leadership quite a bit here. Um, And I think we need more leaders, Uh, but I think we can also learn from folks who haven't been great leaders. So have you been in a situation where someone wasn't exhibiting a great leadership? And what did you learn from that about what it takes to truly be able to, to rise to the occasion? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, communication is so big, um, especially now. You know, I think it's there's literally a different generation of athletes coming along um, that need different things. So I think some of the the leadership failures I've seen just in my past was lack of communication or or lack of change. 
you know, I've always done it this way, so this is how it's going to be done. And it just doesn't work like that anymore. <laughs> you have to be flexible and adjustable on some things. And, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to be able to communicate with people and grow. And I think working with the police helped me with that a lot because you're communicating with all types of people in all types of situations. And, you know, how can you get your message across to them or how can you calm them down in a stressful situation? So to bring that over into the coaching world and into sports has been really big for me to be able to communicate and really um, gain those relationships with people that I've coached. Do you think being able that that patience aspect of it, right? And to, and to you mentioned earlier needing people where they are. What does that mean, and and how do you do that? Because it's hard sometimes, Jen. It's hard. <laughs> it, it is, especially in sports. You know, yeah. and especially in the NFL, because you know there's this mentality of you know if you can't do it, we'll just find someone that will. Mm. So it, it's so important to. To meet those people, everyone's has a different background, come from different places. Some people learn differently. So you really have to understand who they are as a person to really reach them, to get the most out of them. And I think you have to be willing to to meet them where they are. So if this person learns this way, you know, you have to be able to be able to teach them this way, um, even if some other people in your group maybe learn another way. Right. So present things and teach things in a way that touches everybody. And that's I think, you know, Randy, who I work with, does a great job doing that. You know, it's a, what is the metaphor? You can't, um, you can't grade a fish on its ability to climb a tree, right? Like it literally cannot, <laughs> it swims in water. So right. it, it's, exactly. it's very good, doesn't it? But is there a piece of advice? And I'm sure there's many that, that has really carried you through that, that is sort of like a mantra, uh, for what you do on a, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is quick story. Um, when I was coaching basketball is when Hidden Figures came out and, you know, I saw the movie and I was so inspired and I called my parents, tell them about this awesome movie. And they're like, yeah, you know, you're related to Katherine Johnson. And I'm like, what? Huh? Like, you just n- never told me this. Yeah. So they, I've lived my whole life and they never told me I was related to this woman. So I'm so inspired by this movie and really... I think what I took from it was that you have to be so good that you can't be denied. And it's something that I've like lived off of. And just a kind of a personal mantra, as I talked about being a woman in sports, being a black woman in sports, that's kind of the attitude that I have, that I feel like I have to be super good, you know, to be in the role that I am. So that I carry that with me every single day and I always tell women to have that mentality, um, you know, of always excelling at whatever they're doing and, you know, create those relationships and opportunities. And when you get the opportunity, uh, you have to be ready to roll. You know, you can't get an opportunity that you wanted and not be prepared when you get it because it may be your only opportunity. So um, just be prepared for those things. And um, whenever you get a chance to show what you can do, you know, you got to go out and kill it and not like OD and be extra, but just go out and, and do the job exceptionally. Right. Be excellent. Be who you are. We got to have a word with your parents burying the lead. They didn't tell you your whole <laughs> life. <laughs> no. I'd be like, um, okay, first of all, I need records. I need a family tree. I need to see what's going on here. That is <laughs> yeah, remarkable. Yeah. And it's kind of close. It's not like she's way down the line. It's like, it's pretty close. Well, so. well see, now we have a, a little more insight onto just one of the many things that makes you so great. Jennifer King, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast with us. Thank you. That was a fascinating conversation. And I feel like Jennifer was so honest in a really great way, especially about the notion of NFL players, it being surprising that even they need positive reinforcement. I think about that a lot because no matter what work situation you're in, and I know MJ agrees with this, but especially if you're doing what we do in TV, 
everyone, everyone in life just wants to be recognized. They just want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to know that what they say matters. And I do think that a lot of times people look at NFL players and, and especially the stars of the game, um, and, and think that, okay, well, they're super confident and yes, these men are confident, but they're human just like everybody else. So I thought that was really cool to hear Jennifer's perspective because as a woman, as we've talked to different um, guests on this show, women have a different intuition. And I think that it's really awesome to be able to understand a lot of the nuances of a sport that is so manly, you know, because of talking to a woman. I also love Jennifer talking about just the the details of what her job entails and also the, you know, the challenges she's faced of being a woman and what that means, and especially being an African-American woman and feeling the need to be better. So I loved that talk. And Jennifer read my mind because I love that she shared the fact that if there was one um, Olympic sport that NFL athletes might have an easier time transitioning to, it would be bobsled, which... Look, honestly, I think bobsledding, especially now that I'm in the thick of also covering these Olympics, it's like watching bobsled is so terrifying. My hat is off anyone who can do it. But I think she's right. There's something to that, of course. I was glad she mentioned that because I really, really want to uh, segue to some Olympic headlines. Okay, so we want to share a few of the things that we cannot stop thinking about. So I'm going to get right into it. How can we not talk about Chloe Kim. She was absolutely dominant. Chloe Kim is a snowboarder who defended her gold in the women's Olympic half pipe. She had a monster first run. It made her the first woman to win two golds in women's half pipe, an event that debuted in 98. She is 21 years old. And my favorite thing watching her celebrate was the moment that she knew she had landed, her crumpling to the ground. She was smiling ear to ear, crying. And then Afterwards, when she went to do her interview, they presented, you know, a, a screen with her family on it. They were all cheering behind her. And she she said she thanked her dog before she said that she thanked her boyfriend. And that was something that I love because she had this massive family that was all sitting there cheering for her and this adorable dog in the middle of them. And the dog was the first thing I noticed in the shot. But when she said that, it was so humorous. It was so genuine. And Chloe Kim is a bit of a you know, she's almost a redemption story in herself just because she has, I think, rediscovered her confidence and her belief. She said in her post-race interview after she knew that she won gold, that she had a different mindset this time and that she was allowing herself to enjoy it more. So if you're not aware, she took 22 months off from competing after the 2018 Olympics in Pyeongchang. She actually completed her freshman year at Princeton in that time has not lost a competition since her return. So when you think about how special her story is, it's really about, you know, taking time, focusing on what it is that you choose to focus on at that time, but also finding a way to get rid of the doubters, to get rid of any sort of lack of confidence. She has truly come back and she's now embracing it the way that she can really enjoy it. Also, a familiar name to On Her Turf listeners, Ashley Caldwell. This is so exciting because when we talked to Ashley Caldwell, who was uh, the aerialist, I was so pumped about her story about her mom. Her mom basically was the one that gave her the confidence to leave the house when she was 13 to go live elsewhere up in New England so that she could really focus on trying to be as good as she could be at her sport. And Ashley was so honest that she said to us that she said to her mom, I don't know how I'm feeling about this. I don't know if I should do it. And her mom was the one that was like, look, you can stay. We want you to stay, but we really think that if you go, this is an opportunity. How cool is that? Great mom advice. Anyway, Caldwell was atop the podium as well. She joined Christopher Lillis and Justin Schoenenfield 
Feld bringing home gold in the mixed team aerials event, the first medals in freestyle skiing in 12 years. She was a guest before she left for Beijing. And when we asked her about potentially being on the podium in her fourth Olympics, this is her first time meddling. Um, she said making it sweeter, joining her on the podium was her teammate, Justin, who is, as uh, she said after the event concluded, the love of her life. <laughs> in the mixed team event, each country gets three jumpers and can't use more than two per gender. All six countries went with two men and one woman. The last time the United States won medals in aerials was 2010. The last U.S. woman to win gold in an aerial event was Nikki Stone in 1998. So it actually was a joke that she had that she would be the third wheel up there on the podium, but she was on the podium with her fiance. So how awesome is that? We think that he should put a ring on it, but we're not even going to pressure him in this conversation. Anyway, how awesome was that? Okay. Third, Lindsay Jacob Ellis. And if we're talking about a story that honestly gave me goosebumps, which all of them do during the Olympics, but Lindsay Jacob Ellis, I remember in Torino, I was covering the games in Torino. And I remember vividly the moment that there was a collective gasp in the, um, the IBC, the building and in the Olympic city where the broadcast team works because Lindsay Jacob Ellis, the favorite for gold, um, had an unnecessary, early celebratory move. And that was it. Her gold was out of sight. And it was so disappointing for Jacob Ellis. So many expectations on her shoulders. And I believe at that point, she was 20 years old. If you had told her in that moment that she would come back 16 years later to win the gold in that event, I, I bet that she would say, you've got to be kidding me. Because to me, the fact that she was able to come back time and time again. She's been to many Olympics in between, but the fact that it took her this long to sort of realize that dream, realize that gold, I think that is the ultimate test of perseverance. And I know she has talked about what she learned from that moment of disappointment, but um, it just makes me think about how in times that are tough, how much we really do learn from those times and that those are the times that end up, end up like building and that shape us in a way that we don't expect. So don't forget to rate and review on her turf on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to follow on her turf on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And check out some of the past episodes of the On Her Turf podcast. We've had guests like Team USA track and field athletes, Raven Saunders. Don't forget, she was our very first one. Lolo Jones came through, soccer Olympian Becky Sauerbrunn, and hear what current winter Olympian snowboarder Maddie Mastro speech skater Kristen Santos and hockey players Brianna Decker and Megan Keller all had to say before they left for Beijing. For the first time ever, the Super Bowl and Winter Olympics will be on the same day and the same network. Competition continues at the Winter Olympics tonight. Don't miss Super Bowl 56 as the Los Angeles Rams take on the Cincinnati Bengals February 13th on NBC and Peacock. Special thanks to everyone involved in this NBC Sports and Blue Wire partnership. Until next time.